The junta has been jailing and investigating its own economic team in an effort to stop runaway prices in the country. But will it help? That the Burmese military has consistently proven their incapability in managing anything effectively. So for me, that as long as the Burmese military remain in control, uh, we can expect the ongoing economic crisis. And posts on pro-regime telegram channels can be a death sentence. We hear from a digital rights researcher about the risks. Hundreds of individuals has been arrested and the same even got killed as well. Plus, we have an interview about China and India's investment in Rakhine State. And we speak to a poet from Myanmar about her art. Throughout the whole history, poets have been taking part in a very important role in political changes. They not only inspired people from uh, the thoughts that are reflected in the poems, but also they physically get involved in the movements. But first, we'll have a rundown of this week's news from the Irrawaddy. You're listening to the Irrawaddy Newscast, a transmission of conflict and culture from inside and outside Myanmar. Thank you for listening and stay tuned. A junta official visited Beijing this week seeking help in next year's planned census. Worrying for those concerned with civil liberties is the junta's interest in Chinese biometric technology for that census. This includes things like facial recognition, which would allow the regime to more closely monitor citizens. The parallel national unity government has a new real estate opportunity. They just need the current landholders to vacate. They're offering thousands of acres of military-owned land in a famous hill resort in the Mandalay region. It's the latest fundraising effort by the NUG's Ministry of Planning, Finance, and Investment, and the latest project that offers land seized by the military. Junta Bossman on Lang's Yangon property has already raised 10 million U.S. dollars at auction. In February, I spoke to an NUG volunteer dealing with investment opportunities. He said raising money for the revolution is only the first goal. The second part is immediately after the revolution is over, once a country is back on track to the democratic reform and redevelopment side, to assist that uh, redevelopment process immediately after the revolution. At the time, we were discussing the NUG's offer of mining rights. It's the best time to invest in Myanmar. This is the best time to customize opportunities. I repeat the word, customize the opportunities. The UN ambassador of Myanmar's civilian government, Ucha Motun, will remain in his position. That comes after a credentials committee, which includes representatives from Russia and China, declined to meet. In addition to the existing support, we need further strongest possible action from the international community to immediately end the military coup, to stop oppressing the innocent people, to return the state power to the people, and to restore the democracy. That's him soon after the coup in 2021. The junta has made a rival claim for his UN seat. The regime is scrambling to control skyrocketing commodity prices and a depreciating currency. The Central Bank of Myanmar recently revoked the licenses of another 123 currency exchange companies. That's 106 revoked licenses in the last 11 months. And members of economic bureaus like the Central Committee on Ensuring Smooth Flow of Trade and Goods continue to be detained and interrogated. Notably, authorities arrested Lieutenant General Mo Myint Tun, stripped him of his posts, and are investigating him for corruption. 
Sources say he's made millions from bribes by business people. I spoke to Dr. Minmin Ta, an economist at Cal State Sacramento, about the causes behind price increases in Myanmar. She says there's three. First, the production of essential goods have declined substantially. So, for example, the production of the rice and wheats and beans and other agricultural products have been declining since the military coup. So the coup has triggered the intense uh, conflicts in the regions like uh, Zagain and Magui and so on. So, for instance, uh, Zagain contribute about 80% of a total pre-production in the country. And uh, Magui, on the other hand, is the really a hub for all types of uh, beans production. So including those used for making cooking oil. And uh, second reason is that uh, the cost of production has gone up um, quite substantially due to the depreciation of the jets. So ever since the coup, um, the input prices like fertilizers have been soaring. And to make the matter worse, the military hunter has, um, they started printing the 20,000 Jets banknotes recently without really disclosing the information about the quantity of the banknotes to be printed at the denomination, nor the duration at which um, the banknotes will be produced. So that signaled to the business community that uh, the Honda was running low on the US dollars and that uh, we could be expecting a very high inflation in the future. So as a result, the jet's value um, you know, continued to decrease sharply in the last two months and causing that uh, um, you know, import prices to increase even more. And uh, the third reason is the mismanagement of the resources and uh, the widespread bribery um, within the military hunter. So it sounds like corruption and cronyism has contributed to where Myanmar's economy is at right now. What's your thoughts on the junta now turning on these cronies and investigating them? I don't think that uh, the arresting the officials will help at all. And uh, here is why. These are the same tactics that uh, the military Honda has used in the past and uh, which were ineffective in the past. And so this is a really a systematic uh, problem caused by the military Honda. And uh, the Burmese military has uh, consistently proven their incapability in managing anything effectively. So for me, that as long as the Burmese military remain in control, uh, we can expect the ongoing economic crisis, such as uh, high inflation and you know high unemployment and thus the sluggish economic growth to worsen, really. Do you think there's anything the junta can do to stop these price increases right now? See, the thing is that uh, as long as they are there, um, people don't have a trust, right? And as long as uh, this uh, um, conflicts continue, the production that we, we are seeing, the supply side the shocks, so that a, a huge decrease in the supply of these commodities. Um, if that continues, then uh, the, uh, we will still be seeing the increased prices. Rakhine State has been the site of devastating natural disasters and violent oppression by Myanmar's military. It's also attracting a lot of foreign investment specifically from India and China, who have big plans for the region. India's Kaladan multimodal transit transport project will connect Calcutta with Rakhine Sitway. And China's deep sea ports off the coast of Rakhine are an important node in their Belt and Road Initiative. I spoke with a researcher with the Center for Arakan Studies on the topic. She first described what makes Rakhine State so attractive for these infrastructure projects. Uh, firstly, the location, the location of Rakhine State that is uh, situated at the 
uh, you know, Shedagao, uh, 150 kilometer away from Shedagao. So which further extends to uh, like uh, the Beidop Benga, which is the outlet to the Indian Ocean. That is the one of the main points that's why uh, Rakhine State is being interested by um, the, 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 the foreign countries, particularly to the uh, two rival powers, China and India. So the, the first one is the geopolitical interests. Uh, here, the based on those kinds of interests, the foreign direct investments are coming into, uh, into the uh, Rakhine states. You mentioned China and India have investments here. Can you talk about their specific interests? Uh, from the side of uh, India and from the side of China, uh, the the interests are a little bit different uh, based on the uh, foreign policy uh, because uh, from the part of China, uh, the foreign uh, they they would like to you know give the full step in Rakhine states because of the geopolitical interest. That is also the one of the main uh, potential place for the China's BI strategy, Bed and Road Initiative. Uh, the other things for the uh, China, why it is interested in Rakhine State is the energy security. China is really interested in Rakhine State uh, to reduce that that kind of dependency on the Strait of Malacca, Thailand, Malacca. So China is interested in Rakhine State as part of its Belt and Road Initiative, that strategic global supply system it's trying to build, and to reduce its dependence on the Strait of Malacca for oil from the Middle East. What about India? India would like to, you know, improve its uh, Mizoram province, which is one of the least developed areas in India. So, for in order to in 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 order to improve that kinds of province, uh, India is a really, uh, you know, really would like to join with Rakhine states uh, for the economic prosperity. So, one of the strategies may interest in Rakhine state lies in that part. Uh, that's why India is trying to, you know. Um, to establish the uh, Kaladan Madimoda transit transport projects uh, for the transportation communication between mainland India and its uh, northeast states. Other thing is that it would like to also reduce the dependency uh, over the Sigiri corridor at Bangladesh. Uh, the another another thing is that um, India. Um, its interest is coming from uh, the Chinese strategist point of view because uh, India is one of the rival power for China. So at that time, when China is trying to, you know, uh, the establish the federal initiative, so at that time, it comes a rise of concern over the in- Indian security. Right. So the Chinese-Indian rivalry that's leading to some of this investment and competition in Rakhine State. How has the current conflict impacted these projects? Rakhine State's been relatively peaceful with the Arakan army holding most control, and they've had a ceasefire with the military. Is this a concern for stakeholders that clashes or, or conflict could could blow up in the near future? There are some kinds of concerns from both China and India for uh, their, you know, projects and investment uh, from the gender side, or also the um the the other two countries are also being concerned over uh, the peaceful situation for the Rakhine State too. However, as you say that like. Um, Rakhine State is currently, you know, sometimes it is peaceful, peaceful, uh, but sometimes it's like a, a little bit, you know, blowing situation. Some, sometimes, you know, so that's why we don't know the the um uh how can I say uh, the future about the consent. But although that can be said that uh it is a little bit peaceful in the local area sometimes, but in the northern part of Rakhine State, particularly in the northern part of Rakhine State, which is uh the Indian project is located. So it is uh it can be concerned because of the M clashes is happening in 
in the area sometimes, uh, somehow. What do the residents of Rakhine State think about these projects? We have two kinds of pro, uh, two kinds of you know the the interviews related with to uh, to the um the residents and also to um the CSO members from the Jiaofu Special Economic Zone. At the time, they are saying that the Made Island um when they are trying to build the uh, project at the Made Island um you know DC part, uh, that will be also a uh, direct impact to the residents because the, the residents are, you know, living with the fishing uh, at the, the island at uh, they, they are trying they, for the living, so for their livelihood. At that time, if they are, uh, you know, building the deep sea port at the area, that will be direct impact to the residents. So they don't believe um, over the uh, Chinese projects because in the past they have faced with such kind of saturation like um, the oil and gas pipeline. They, they are facing with the saturations of, you know, the lazy, um, um, you know, um, they, they don't even get a good job uh, from such kind of projects. You can find a link to that report by the Center for Arakan Studies in the show notes. And now for a report on the war against the junta, the latest news from the ongoing conflict. Resistance fighters have killed at least 64 regime forces and allied militia members in the last week or so of clashes. Resistance groups say they killed four junta troops in an ambush in Myang Township in the Zagang region. You're hearing footage of that raid posted to social media. The National Unity Government says its groups killed more than 330 regime soldiers last month in Zagang and the rest of Upper Myanmar. That's Maguey and the Mandalay regions and northern Shan State. The junta has launched an operation to take back an outpost captured by the Kachin Independence Army near Liza Township. A resistance group used a drone to bomb a junta airbase in the capital of Naypyidaw. The military has began arming militias in the Bago region, which also borders Naypyidaw. Dozens are missing after a junta vessel carrying more than 100 passengers sank in the Chindwin River in the Zagang region. Before sinking, that vessel was shelling targets on the riverbank. The Irwadi collected the following reports from People's Defense Force and ethnic armed organization sources. You can find more at the Irrawaddy's website in the section called War Against the Junta. The civilian death toll in Myanmar since the February 2021 coup stands at 4,049. That's according to the Assistance Association for Political Prisoners. Pro-Junta telegram channels have led to arrests, disappearances, and deaths for those accused of not supporting the military. At least 16 people were detained in Mandalay just last month after a channel doxed them, shared their photos and addresses. Among those jailed were doctors and teachers who joined the civil disobedience movement. Wai Pyo Mint is an analyst with Access Now, that's an organization that supports digital rights for at-risk communities. She says even before the coup, pro-military groups were moving to Telegram as Facebook cracked down. 
since long before the coup, you know, uh, Facebook has uh, increased, you know, like a kind of regulations uh, for the uh, contents uh, related to the Myanmar and also the accounts and etc. as well. What we have seen about was like uh, Facebook was um, removed, you know, like uh, military personnel and also military kind of like uh, institute accounts and pages that was started like uh, before uh, coup, I would say. And then, then the, the military uh, supporters and uh, military lobbyists, you know, military back lobbyists, they start um, shifting, you know, using like uh, others platforms and etc. So that's include like a uh, Telegram is one of them as well. And then, um, then when we talk about like uh, this like uh, campaign of terror, like uh, including toxins and you know etc., that was we started seeing about like uh, quite early, like uh, around to the early two thousand twenty two. So Telegram was already the platform of choice for those being banned by social media like Facebook, maybe for, you know, encouraging violence. What happened after the coup? Um, how have supporters of the military used Telegram to attack their their enemies? First February of 2022, this was like a one year anniversary of the coup, you know. And then these resistant groups, resistant forces, um, this are calling for a silent strike. And then like uh, this telegram, you know, you might uh, see about like uh, they start sharing the screenshot of the shops or like individuals, you know, uh, the uh, business owners and etc. who support the silent strike, you know, some, uh, within like a few hours, in some cases, like a few, a few days, we start seeing about arrest of those people, those individuals. That's kind of like it. I would say it about it at the beginning, you know, majority of the people start seeing about the impacts of this toxin, you know, uh, created by this military link uh, back actors. Hundreds of individuals has been uh, arrested and then some even got killed as well. And also a number of like uh, properties, business has been confiscated as well. So they'll share the location and screenshots of individuals. Can you talk about that culture of fear that this campaign of doxing has created in Myanmar? You know, we've been um, caring about, you know, a uh, number of individuals uh, in our network has been doxed as well. Because I've been um, um, speaking at these different panels as well. You know, like sometimes, you know, they took the screenshot of these panels and then put it out on their, their, their doxing, uh, on their, their telegrams as well. So these are, I mean, of course, you know, like... Uh, um, to be honest, you know, this is also a kind of like a legit concern, you know, we have constantly, you know, um, not for ourselves and also the for anyone um, uh, in our network, in our family members and, you know, etc. So that's, I think, like, and also the, this is also their power-up mechanism, you know, uh, to be able to restrict, you know, people, uh, uh, free speech, you know, both online and offline as well. What would you like to see Telegram do? Uh, currently, right now, what they have been doing was only kind of like a taking down, you know, some accounts. But state doesn't really, they don't really have any policy, you know, to, um, to be able to stop, you know, these back actors. One thing is, um, uh, we haven't really seen it at Telegram engagement with the any, any kind of like a, um, any group, you know, to, who has been working on this issue both local and also international organization, they haven't engaged, they haven't responded to any of our requests either. So that is one thing. And then uh, the other thing is like, uh, we haven't really seen it about like a uh, proactive, you know, like uh, measures, you know, from the Telegram site as well. 
So we really want to request, you know, Telegram, you know, the first thing, you know, they could do about it is like engaging with these like uh, different stakeholders um, working on these human rights issues, uh, especially digital rights issues in Myanmar. So that is we really want to request, you know, to engage with these like, uh, but so far we haven't really seen about like uh, any, not, not, not just our organization. And also we have been reaching to the other organization as well. None of the, uh, none of us, you know, have ever got any response from the Telegram. Since the coup, poets have been on the front line, sometimes literally in the fight for democracy. Authorities have killed at least four and jailed dozens. Some have fled the country or gone underground or just stopped working. In a reoccurring segment, we'll hear from poets from Myanmar. Today, we hear from Pandora. That's a pseudonym that she goes by. I don't consider myself as a full-time poet because I'm a working mother as well. So especially these few years, I haven't been so productive in writing because of the situations, as well as because of my uh, personal uh, duties. Currently, we do not have uh, any official censorship vote, but because of the current situations, uh, poets have to be very aware of uh, what they are writing. So usually we have to self-censor before we publish something to the public. Uh, that's the situation now. And uh, a lot of people are not happy. <laughs> so uh, for myself, uh, I'm not productive in writing any literary pieces. Throughout the whole history, uh, poets uh, have been taking part in a very important role in uh, political changes. Uh, they not only inspired people from uh, the thoughts that are reflected in the poems, but also they physically get involved in the movements. So even things uh, from the colonial time until now, uh, several poets have been arrested or tortured or even killed uh, through several movements. The Tale of Happiness when I was young, I found happiness in the crescent moon on the top of bamboo trees. On the crescent moon swaying in the wind, happiness was dangling as if on the cradle. Happiness feels hot and cold. Happiness, when it touches with electricity, explodes or shines. Happiness. When it touches with the tortures of life, twinkles. Happiness, like a camphor ball, can dwindle away. Even not just like a virus, just like a candle, happiness might increase without losing its size. If happiness is inflamed so much that the room is no longer big enough, to keep other things. I tried to break happiness into three pieces. One piece was gone or I ate it, dipping into coffee. I can remember only its taste faintly. I lodged another piece under my pillow. Happiness is something which can be lost too. Among the piles of books, 
I can no longer find a flattened piece of happiness and kept in a book I stored after drying it in sand. Happiness, however, never dries up. It always regains consciousness with the sound of alarm. As long as you breathe, sometimes from a small vapor of water, it will reappear as a drop or as a crystal. You might fall into a pit of mud while searching for happiness. Happiness can make you dirty too. Happiness and lives of living beings are evaluated. In a political speech, happiness matters. Success is the key to happiness or vice versa. The people who long for happiness are licking war with their tongues. Happiness is internet, almost perfect and highly additive. Between two cliffs in the fists, happiness is so rejoiced that it melts. Happiness changes forms, no doubt. Due to external forces and velocities, happiness becomes round and thick as time passes by, just like how the earth was formed in the universe. The edge lines become smooth and turns into something like a ball. From the high to the low, the ball runs and runs, jumps and bounces back. And in this way, my somersaulting happiness suddenly stops right in front of the child. The child, giggling, picks up my happiness using her pincer grasp. Then she hangs it in the crescent moon stuck on the top of the bamboo trees. You've been listening to the Irrawaddy Newscast. You can find links to the stories mentioned here in the show notes, as well as a way to support the Irrawaddy's reporting. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.